Welcome to Long Story Long. I'm your host, Lisa Curry. Today's guest is the incredibly talented Ahmed Best. Ahmed is an actor, writer, musician. You may know him from his work in Star Wars or maybe from Stomp. He also has a one-man show called Uninfamous that you absolutely have to check out. We had such a great conversation. I think you're really going to love it. Here you go. Hey, Ahmed. How are you? Hi, my friend, Lisa. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. It's so nice to see you. It's great to see you, too. I know you've been traveling the globe recently, and yeah. I've been trying to keep track of all your travels, and it's wonderful. Everything, every Me place too. you're going, you and your puppy. I'm, I'm going a little bit crazy. I'm in Nashville right now, but I'm back in L.A. in a month. So. Yes! Looking forward so to that. That's right. Yeah. Um, how's everything going with you? What are you working on right now? Um, everything is good. There's a lot of, I feel like there's always things going, but I never feel mm-hmm. like I'm doing anything. I'm working on a couple of things. I'm working on, um, I, I host a show with the National Academy of Science at the Science Entertainment mm-hmm. Exchange called Science Speed Dating, where seven oh. scientists have seven minutes to blow your mind. And, oh, okay. um, seven minutes each or they, seven minutes or each. They each get a min- okay. Seven scientists have seven minutes each, um, mm-hmm. and they do like a seven minute talk, and they're always mind blowing, and there's never enough time. They always run out of time, but in those seven minutes, you learn more than you did in like high school. So I love that. It's fantastic. So I host that show online, and we're trying mm-hmm. to bring it to a wider audience, to a bigger screen, because yeah. um, I think now that we've kind of are okay with scientists on TV that don't wear bow ties and try to like throw <laughs> yeah. Mentos in a, in a Diet Coke, you know, like uh-huh. we're actually going, oh, okay, scientists, they actually know things and we should listen to them and yeah. take them seriously. And this isn't just for kids, right? So I, um, we're trying to bring that concept um, to more places just to normalize scientists on TV because um, it, that's necessary. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't believe a lot of things for no good reason. <laughs> so I think yeah. we have to just, I think the more we keep talking about people who know things for good reason, the more people will be like, oh, okay, there's a good reason to know that. Yeah. Well, and I think part of that is we have to like, I mean, make it okay to be, I don't want to say dumb, but I, I think, like, make it not shameful to admit, hey, I don't know this thing. That's because- the whole thing. That's <laughs> yeah. the whole idea behind the show. Like, yeah. I'm the dumbest person on the screen in the show. And I'm just like, hey, I'll be yeah. that guy. I'll be the person that does not know. And I'll, all I'll be saying is, wow, I didn't know that. And I think that's good. You know, that's the, yeah. the smartest thing anyone could ever say is, I don't know. Yeah, you know? oh, absolutely. Because you're not, like how could you be an expert in everything it's not and the, in the at the same time like scientists don't know everything about your line of work or you, you know it's like there's only you, there's only so much room for knowledge in your head which sounds dumb as hell but it's it's more of like just a time thing you can't possibly learn everything and know everything that's yeah and that and that's the goal is to forever be learning right yeah and it's not to 
know everything. I, I don't I don't ever want to know everything. You know, if you, when you know everything, then what, what's the reason to be here? Like, okay, got but it. When you know everything, shit is like scarier a it's, lot it's of times. Like, really? I don't want to know medical stuff. I want to go to the doctor and them to handle it behind a curtain. And right. I don't want to Yeah, exactly. Behind, you know? I don't want to go, oh man, that's appendicitis. Let me just get in there and take that out. Like, <laughs> no, no there are people not. who do that, who have a passion for <laughs> yeah. it. You know, yeah. And when you're in the God room, they'll why. tell you exactly. They have there's <laughs> oh, there's something with yeah. them that they're just like, oh, I love opening people up and pulling things out. Yeah. So how I, did you get into this show? Um, I attended. It was a live show uh, for a while pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. and um, you get this secret invitation to the event, and I and I got a Ooh. secret invitation to the event, and I went to the event, and I immediately fell in love with it because, you know, I'm a I'm a hobbyist when it comes to mm-hmm. science and I love science. I've always loved science as a kid. I was a pretty nerdy kid. So, um, you know, I've always been interested. I've I'm tremendously curious. Like everything that I do in my life is because I always want to know how things are done. You know, I, uh-huh. I'm I'm voraciously curious. And so I wasn't hosting the show when I went. And I saw the yeah. show and I was like, oh, I love this. And then there was a host. I can't remember who it was, but I was just like, you know what? I want to do that. Like, I want to be able to host the show and then um, talk to the scientists yeah. and ask just questions. Just be involved in it. In some I, yeah, I just want to be, be in science it. Science tangential. Yeah. Exactly. I want to be science adjacent. <laughs> if I don't have yes. a, a PhD, I'll just be adjacent to the science. Like there's radio waves coming out of their brain, putting information into yours. <laughs> right. You touch them and all of a sudden through osmosis, you learn microbiology. Yeah. <laughs> But I decided I was just like, you know, I want to I want to curate one right Mm -hmm. where I get to choose a scientist. And so I talked to uh, the director of the Science and Entertainment Exchange. His name is Rick Lovard. And I talked to Rick and I was like, hey, you know, I do this podcast called the Afrofuturist podcast and I'm big into Afrofuturism, science fiction, future forecasting, Mm -hmm. all these other things. Can I host a science speed dating? And he was like, yes, sure. Because they they don't really have too many their 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 roster of people doesn't include a lot of black people you know yeah so I was like what if we just curate you know black scientists mm-hmm. and he was like I love it so I was like yeah let's do it so I did um, my partner in the podcast Lonnie Brooks and I and and the Science and Entertainment Exchange found seven scientists. And we hosted an event at UCLA and I was the host. And then since then, they were just like, can you be the forever host? And I was like, yes. Yes, I I love that. That's awesome. What made you go into, let me back it up. So you grew up in New York, right? Mm -hmm. South Bronx. And uh, did you know when you were a kid that you wanted to go into entertainment? Yeah. Was this like a lifelong dream? Yeah. Um, My parents are very artsy. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother is kind of a, a savant in all things. She's a deconstructive brain. You know, my mother can look at something and like take it apart and do it, you know. I love so, that. And um, she, her her education's in fine arts and painting mm-hmm. and jewelry design. And that's what she, she went to. Oh. She went to FIT in New York for jewelry design. Mm-hmm. And so as a kid, I would always see my mother painting. She would like be painting portraits and pictures and walls and doing macrame. She was like mad crafty. 
Um, mm-hmm. She loved like knocking walls down and putting things. I was like, she was yeah. like, Matt really, Crafty would be a good business name. She's Mad Crafty, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you from New York when you Mad Crafty. Yo, come down, Mad Crafty. We got yeah. macrame. We got mats for you. We can and paint it's all your in house. a trench coat. Yeah, <laughs> yo. We got plant holders. We got wood stuff. We mad crafty. (laughs) Yeah, my mom's was mad crafty. Um, But when I was six years old, she started taking um, African percussion classes. She plays a a Nigerian instrument called the shaker ray. And me and my brother and my sister would go to her classes with her. Because mm-hmm. we were we didn't have any money and we couldn't she couldn't afford childcare. So she was like, Let me yeah. just bring my three children with me and we were just like sitting Which, down. What a dope thing to just be on the sidelines for of all the things. It was amazing. You it know? was amazing. Yeah. So and it was mostly women in the class, right? It was mm-hmm. a very I grew up around a lot of like um diverse LGBTQ people, right? And and in New York it's just there. And you don't really think about it too much because New York yeah. is so, you know, diverse in itself. Like you're just around mm-hmm. people. So there wasn't really any type of stigma. But um, in the class, uh, the teacher, Madeline Yayodele Nelson, rest in peace. Um, she gave me and my brother and my sister shaker rays. And she was like, why don't you guys just play with us? Which is a very African thing. Oh, I love that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, here's the community. Here's the tribe. Just come on in. Instead and... of being like, well, you haven't paid your dues. Right. Sit in the hall. Exactly. Stare Go at the play, wall. You know? <laughs> right. She was just like, if you're going to be here, pick up an instrument. So we did, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and we started playing. So uh, I was like, I think I'm like five or six years old. So at a very young age, like I started playing music with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mother went on to be a part of Madeline's group in New York mm-hmm. City, which was called Women of the Calabash. And it was a four woman percussion ensemble. Um, oh, and wow. so I grew up going to my mom's gigs. Like she would do, mm-hmm. you know, gigs at the Museum of Natural History or you know, she would go around to the Children's Museum in Staten Island, which nobody should ever get trapped in Staten Island at a Children's Museum, <laughs> ever. It's, Don't it's, go there even for the museum. It's like Escape from New York. If you're in a Children's <laughs> Museum in Staten Island, you're just like, okay. there's only boats? <laughs> only boats? Get out of here, that's it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, there's other museums. Go to another one. You're just going to be stuck in Staten Island for the rest of your life. Um <laughs> But and then eventually, you know, she toured the world with Women of the Calabash. Um, And then my father, my father is a cinematographer by education, but he worked at Good Morning America, ABC. He did. He did Good Morning America. He also did like ABC Wild World of Sports back in the day with like Howard Cosell, you know, before it was like ABC Sports. Right. Um, I'm dating myself a bit, but. You know, he would like do wide world of sports. He'd be gone for a, like a couple weeks and then he'd come back and he'd bring back all this food from his traveling. My father was a very good cook. So he'd bring like all this, all the food that he had on his travels, he'd bring it back and like cook for us and stuff. And then at ABC, you know, um, at Good Morning America, he had like this fantastic work experience. And it was very unlike the rest of his siblings, you know, all my uncles, 
they all got like government jobs. And my father actually went out on a limb and studied filmmaking and then became a cameraman for Mm -hmm. TV. And, you know, now that he's since retired, now he's doing like film again. He's like doing documentaries and stuff. That's really cool. So was this when you were growing up, was this like, um, did it feel, I mean, I guess it would feel normal. It was or normal to me. Super fascinated with. I mean, or you could be both, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I knew, I knew my father had kind of a flashy job, right? Mm-hmm. But we were still in the South Bronx, you know. Yeah. Like we, we didn't. He wasn't making the type of money where I could start flossing. You know what I'm saying? Or I could like be just yeah. everybody get a lunch. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't buying <laughs> I wasn't buying square pizzas for everybody at PS100. You know, it was still like we we, just, we still were like struggling, you know, um, because being an artist, you don't make shit. My mom wasn't making a lot of money playing percussion and selling jewelry. Um, so we, we still had to struggle. But I knew my father's job was exotic, you know, and every once in a while, like, we'd like go to work with him. And it was fun. Yeah, it was super. That's wild. It was a lot of fun. Like, especially and they were like, well, since you're here, pick up a piece pick of Pick up a camera. And like, like, let's go. Move that light. <laughs> What's wrong with you? They're like, hold this light board. Hold yeah. the mic. <laughs> exactly. One of my biggest things when I was a kid was like my father would always get autographs for us. You know, of, of all the famous people on Good Morning America. So we'd come back with, he'd come back with these like great autographs from people i love it and then as we got older like if somebody was at the studio he'd be like yeah let's i'm gonna bring my kids so we mm-hmm. met like a ton of people we met james brown and patty labelle and Whoopi goldberg awesome. and i have like there are three instances you know Whoopi goldberg is big for me she's like uh-huh. a hero like a huge enormous like somebody i, I really really worship which i'm i'm mm-hmm. I'm very afraid to meet her. And uh, and on a couple (laughs) of, yes, I'm terrified because I love her so much, you know? Uh And there were two times where I like was this close to meeting her and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. What? Yeah, I couldn't. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I was so nervous. I couldn't do it. She's a giant to me, you know? Yeah. And so um, once was Good Morning America. Like my father was like, Whoopi's going to be in the studio. Do you want to come? And I was like, no. Can't do it. And this was just this was when you know she was on Broadway and her show was like killing. And I yeah. remember, I remember I mean, she's huge. she was enormous and she was like go, movie star. And I was watch. I remember watching her show as a kid on HBO. Like we were the only people in the South Bronx with HBO. And I remember <laughs> watching her uh, on her one woman show on HBO. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do you do that? Like I, I want to do that. Yeah. Like how do you get to do that? And I watched it. Every time it came on, I watched it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I couldn't take my eyes off Whoopi Goldberg. And then, you know, he was like, do you want to come to the studio? And I was like, nah, I can't. I can't. I'm too nervous, right? And then in 1996, when I was in Stomp, Stomp did um, uh, a number at the Oscars, right? Uh-huh. So, and Whoopi Goldberg was hosting the Oscars. So we were, <laughs> and we were still in New, I was still a New Yorker. And, and I you're was like, young. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> I'm t- Lisa, I was like, they were like, Whoopi Goldberg's hosting. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Petro. And so we're rehearsing, right? We're That's rehearsing. How somebody reacts when they're like, grandfather's murderer is in totally. the crowd. You know? I, was, I was like this, like, <laughs> she's going to be, she's hosting, the, she's hosting the show? Really? And I was like sweating and shit. 
Like, and I'm, <laughs> I'm never getting nervous around, but Whoopi Goldberg, yeah. she's like so special to me. And like, we're, we're chilling like backstage and it was like, I think like Brian Adams was playing a game. And you know, Quincy Jones, mm-hmm. Quincy mm-hmm. Jones produced that Oscars. And Quincy Jones was a big backer of Stomp. Like he loved it. He loved Stomp. And um, the reason why we were there is because Stomp did a short film that was nominated for an Academy Award. So they were just like, mm. you guys come over and perform. And so we did, right? And we were just weird kids. We were all skinny yeah. and shit. Um, and then we're rehearsing and, you know, I'm doing some Stomp shit and I'm up at the front of the stage mm-hmm. and Whoopi Goldberg sitting right there. Like she's like <laughs> 10 feet away. And I'm like, okay, like watching you perform, that's another, like, I get that. And I, I fully understand that. And I would have left. I, I, I was like, you left. I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, get me out of here. And I see her face and she's like smiling and clapping. She's like loving it. Right. Uh-huh. Throughout the whole show, she's making like stomp references. And I'm like, oh my God, Whoopi Goldberg loves us backstage. It was like we were downstairs backstage. Mm-hmm. I walked downstairs, downstairs and Whoopi Goldberg's about to walk up. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, you know, I love you, blah, 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 blah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like walking. Uh-huh. It's like slow motion and shit. You're levitating. You're I'm floating. like, float. I'm Spike Lee floating. I'm just like, it's the Spike Lee joint. I'm like in yeah. Spike Lee land, right? Yes. Floating. I'm floating. Like Spike Lee joints. She comes up and right before we're almost like this and I'm just like, ah, and then she walks off and I didn't say no. anything. I couldn't do it. No. I couldn't do it. I was so scared. No. I couldn't do it. Those are the two times that I was just like, I wanted to tell Whoopi, like, you're everything to me. I probably would have like started crying. I feel like I'm going to cry right now. I probably would have started oh. crying. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I, I met Chris Rock years ago and I, I was like I kept it cool yeah. when I met him, and then uh, I w- it was at, he, my friend was opening for him, and so I got to see a show. And then when I went to go take my seat, I just lost it. I was just like <laughs> almost like hyperventilating, crying. Where like <laughs> you know we're just like getting ready to see him, and I'm sitting in my seat by myself, just like, <gasps> <laughs> and everyone's looking at me like, what the what fuck is, is going on? And it was also like. The show, like, it was almost an entirely black crowd. So I'm just like this white girl just sitting by myself. Just sobbing. Sobbing. They're like, oh I don't know what's going on, but this is going to stop. Oh, my God. So I feel you. I feel it's you. So it's good. like, it's not, you can't. What can you because do? Because it's like, it's, a, you know, when somebody, it sounds like her performance is kind of what got you to do what you even do. Yes. It's like, well, I said, you know, cause I knew, I knew my parents, right. But uh-huh. my mom's was kind of really just in our apartment mm-hmm. doing her thing. And my father was behind the scenes. And when I saw Whoopi on stage on Broadway, like there was nobody black on Broadway, no black mm-hmm. shows, no nothing. Right. And so yeah. even when we would drive through Broadway or, you know, would a Broadway show would come on TV or some shit. No black people. So the idea of being able to be in a Broadway show wasn't really like real to me. You know? Yeah. There was like a couple of shows like Porgy and Bess would like be on at Radio City Music Hall or something like that. Yeah. Right. 
And, you know, it's like a fantastic, it's George Gershwin, it's all of these things. And maybe like you see an all black cast. But, you know, like Barefoot in the Park would come on, no black people. Like every time there's a black show on Broadway, it's about like slavery, Jim Crow. Yes, of course. Or it's like Africa, you know, and everybody's doing the same undulations. It's like themed. Yeah. And it's not, we can't just be like regular. It's like we only want to see your pain. We right. don't want to see your joy or, so, you know, like whatever. Or, or anything just, just different. Like, you know, yeah. like black people eating dinner on Broadway is just like when Massa used to give us the. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Like, why, why can't we just be eating at a table? <laughs> you know? Yes. You know? Yes. And then it's like the yeah. August Wilson stuff, which I love, but mm-hmm. it's like, okay. Anytime there's an August <laughs> Wilson show, it's just like the black programming part, right? And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. February, we're going to do all of August Wilson's plays in 28 days. The rest <laughs> of the 11 months, we're going to do other shit with like one black dude in it. Yeah. But when Whoopi Goldberg was on stage, mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute. I can look like I look with dark skin and big lips mm-hmm. and be able to do that. I had no idea, you know, yeah. and now I can go, I can do it because Whoopi did it. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. That's so, and it's uh, representation matters so much. And it's I know huge. people kind of like, you know, make a joke out of it and, or like, will act like it doesn't matter. And I'm like, it fucking does matter. Yeah. It matters a lot. And it's, it's like, huge. I don't know. I know a lot of progressives that don't agree with Kamala and I'm like, and that's fine. But her being where she's at means a lot to a lot. It's a big deal. And that's, it's not nothing. It's a big deal. I remember a friend of mine uh, from Bahia, Brazil, when Barack Obama was elected, um, he said to me, he was like, it really doesn't matter what he does. The fact that a young black kid in Bahia, Brazil can look and see Barack Obama as the president of the United States Mm -hmm. is enough, you know? They can go, I can actually do something. I can be there. Because the obstacles are enormous. Like the obstacles to being black on Broadway is huge. Huge. You know, to be a black anything in entertainment, you have to be extraordinary, right? You can't just be I, you know? You have to be like (laughs) extra. Like everybody talks about like Sterling K. Brown, right? On Mm -hmm. This Is Us. Sterling is extraordinary. He's extraordinary. And yes. far beyond his castmates, extraordinary, right? Mm-hmm. But think about what Sterling K. Brown had to do to be on that show and think about what his castmates had to do to be on that show. Yeah. Right? Sterling had been around for 20 years. He's been killing it on in all facets of the game, on stage. You know, I saw Sterling mm-hmm. at the Kirk Douglas in LA. He did like a one-man show about the Civil War. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus, yeah. Gee, you know, the amount of skill and intelligence and talent and, and acumen that that man has. Like, when he won all those awards for that year, everybody was like, oh, it's amazing. He came out of nowhere. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you better give him the goddamn Golden Globe. He's extra- He's always yeah. been extraordinary, right? But yeah. for him to be on This Is Us, he has to be extraordinary. That shows yeah. you like the barriers that it takes to say, Absolutely. I'm going to be a, a, an actor or I'm going to be 
in the entertainment business as somebody black, you have mm-hmm. to give up a lot. It's a Herculean task. Yeah. Um, mostly because there isn't a lot of material. And then the material that you get is mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that you don't want to do. Like, there's a lot of shit that I was just like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> you know, yeah. I've done terrible. Yeah. I've done terrible things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but. Yeah. Projects. You mean projects. <laughs> Absolute projects. You're not, not out like, there killing people. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Yes. I'm not, I'm not doing yes. yet. <laughs> I'm still. No. I've done awful work that I am not mm-hmm. proud of, but I wasn't bad in it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because right. I had to like sustain you, my life. It was just like a, a necessary thing. I had to, I, you know, it's a gig that I wanted to do. And it was a challenge and it was a journey and it was an adventure and it was an experience. And there yeah. aren't very many of those for you know black people unfortunately it's more than it used to be but it's nowhere near where it needs to be yeah absolutely um and then you know once we catch up with that maybe we'll get around to other people (laughs) asian (laughs) people we'll see middle eastern people we'll see we'll see what happens you know the hardest part and you know i gotta give (laughs) i gotta give our mutual friend jay lee credit for this joke jay lee has a joke where he was just like People of color. That term is so ridiculous. It's his joke. Right? Truly. Mm-hmm. I'm giving him all the dap for this joke. Right? He's like, people of color is a ridiculous statement. Right? Because who's people? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there are people. Yeah. And there are people of color. Why do the not of color people get to be people? And the rest of us have to be people of something else, you know? Yeah, yeah you have to be in another category, like miscellaneous. What's the I point? Don't know. It doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense. It's, it's, a, it's a nonsensical thing to think about, right? But that's what we're all battling. The default, yeah. the bottom line, the norm, right? Is, you yeah. know, white, cisgendered, Western, mm-hmm. European male, right? And that's not a bad thing, right? But that's also um, a baseline based on white supremacy, right? It's not a baseline based on, you know, a global community. So when we're talking about the belief of a life outside of that idea, we have to justify its belief, right? To that idea. Because the norm, the baseline for that idea isn't, Oh, here's a black dude in Hollywood who's an actor and a teacher and loves science. It's so, not not to like it about me, but it's it's really interesting that you're saying this because I have um, a a script that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And I uh, initially made, I I initially put no mention of race in the, for any of the characters I didn't describe because I was like, I wanted to because it was like, it didn't matter to the story. And I was like, I wanted to be open to whomever. And uh, a, uh, a white guy, uh, a friend of mine read it and said, this reads really white. And I was like, hmm. he's like, you need to make it more diverse. And I was like, all of that is in your imagination. That's pal. Right. <laughs> None That's of it. Right. It's not, not diverse. It's not, but because it's people having normal lives. I don't know. And it was just, yeah. I don't, it was really, uh, and I don't think he meant anything by it. It was just really interesting, I guess. No, it's not his know? fault, you know. Um, it's not his fault. I remember I had a, 
I don't usually engage with the online noise, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, there was somebody online who was who uh, jumped on something of social media of mine. Maybe it was Venmo. But there was somebody (laughs) (laughs) who made a comment who was like, said something to the effect of Egypt is not in Africa. And I was like, should I or shouldn't I? Mm -hmm. And so what I said to this person was like, look, I don't blame you for this ignorance. There's a lot of people who would try to persuade you into thinking that Egypt is in the Middle East, but it Mm -hmm. is firmly on the continent of Africa. I've been there. So um, and they do recognize themselves as African people, but I don't blame you. I blame the people who taught you. So Mm -hmm. you have an opportunity now to correct a misnomer. Your teachers should be ashamed of themselves. Sure. And that's how I think like, you know, this society is is so interesting because it's something that um, you can be in and not recognize that you're in, right? It's, you know, the, 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 what's that saying about the devil? The greatest, um, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to make people believe that he didn't exist, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, much of it is just like premise. woven into the fabric of our society that we're, it's, yeah. and by so much of it, I mean, you know, it's, it's so prevalent that it's like, it's like that saying of, I'm in not, not to just like, keep throwing out sayings but like the saying about like fish don't know they're in water yeah absolutely it's the same it's like the same thing like you just it's everywhere so how do you notice it because it doesn't stick out against anything yeah and western civilization has a as an incredible ability to swallow everything that comes into contact with it right Mm -hmm. and assimilate with it there's a really great book called sand talk that talks about this you know and it was um uh the the author is a uh, an aboriginal of aboriginal descent australian and um he talks about how western civilization is just all-consuming and because of the sheer brutality of it right people just want to live they're just like okay just stop killing us we'll do we'll do it <laughs> you know yeah and yeah. then just leave us so just come on like uh, we just don't stop killing the children jeez mm-hmm. you know yeah we'll do it and then it'll assimilate that culture and and you know erase the history of mm-hmm. it so it's it's very it's very all-consuming it's very all-encompassing Absolutely. So that gaze that the person had reading your script is because they've been consumed by, you know, this idea yeah. of white cisgendered male being the norm when it's just like, you know, yeah. just another one of many. It's an option. Yeah. It's yeah. A, miscellaneous. There's more. We could throw it in miscellaneous. Yeah. Totally. It could be in the it could be in the bargain bin at Ross, dress for less. <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely. I wanna talk more about uh the cool shit you've done. How did you end up in Stomp? Because I was like, this yeah, is something that, that growing up I was so fascinated with it. My parents were like, We're going to Blue Man Group and I was like, Okay. <laughs> I felt like it was <laughs> which was fun, but I felt like uh those were the two those were two really big shows at the same time that yeah. like the not typically theater crowd participated in. Yeah. Uh, at that time, theater in New York in the nineties was downtown, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Broadway was kind of dead. There wasn't really anything on Broadway that was exciting. Um, and everything that was going to Broadway came from off Broadway. Right. So mm-hmm. like 
Rent was off Broadway for a while. Um, Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk was at The Public with Savion Glover and Blue Man Group and Stomp. And there was this other show from Argentina called De La Guarda, which was like amazing. I loved De La Guarda. Mm-hmm. A lot, we shared a I'm lot of cast. Stomp and De La Guarda. De La Guarda was at, on, in Union Square, and it was this show based on young people rev- revolting in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And it was drums, and it was dance, and it, they had they would f- they would fly around the theater. They would like harness up and put themselves That's on crazy. ropes, and they would like that fly around the theater, crazy. and like they would run along the ceilings and just fly. It was amazing. It was amazing, and, and you know that time there was a lot of kinetic, physical theater going on, and Stomp was one of them, and. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when I got the show, I'd never seen it. Like I didn't know what was up. Really? Never seen the show. I I kind of heard about it because there was like commercials for it, right? Uh-huh. But I was I was teaching shakerette, my mom's instrument, uh-huh. at this dance school in New York City, this African dance school in New York City, in the basement, which was like Africa. It was mm-hmm. hot. There was like goats. It was like I felt like every goats. time. I, awesome. <laughs> Every it. time I walked into there, <laughs> it, it was in a basement on Broadway, <laughs> which is now like a, I think a, a, a Adidas store or something. It was like Broadway mm-hmm. in Houston. And down there was like Africa. It was African mm-hmm. people. People were making food. It was amazing. Right. Um, and so I saw this flyer that said percussionists who move auditions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's me. You know, I'm a percussionist. I move martial arts background. You know, I've been doing martial mm-hmm. arts since I was a kid. Right. And at first, you know, New Yorkers are kind of snobs. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's not from New York, everybody's like, man, that's just corny, man. So I saw <laughs> yeah. I saw this flyer, percussionist and move. And I was like, man, that's corny, man. I'm not doing that. That's corny. I'm a real musician. I don't need none of that. Right. It's corny. You're like, if there's not a fucking goat, get out of here. Like, get out of here. I'm here in Africa teaching. It's corny. And so my <laughs> girlfriend at the time was like, yeah, you should check it out. You should try to check it out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I am kind of broke. So, <laughs> yeah, all right. So I, go to the, I go to this audition. And um, there's a bunch of like. You're like, first up, how much does this pay? Number one, like, (laughs) what we get in every week. Because, you know, I'm not going to be doing this corny shit for like a couple hundred dollars. (laughs) All right? So we just going to get that right off the bat. Like, what's what's weekly look like? Number two, health. I need some health benefits. I need a crown on my dental. And and they're like, please, sir, sit down. There's like 200 people. This is an audition. Please (laughs) take a seat. Uh, uh, Name? <laughs> yeah, but first right off the bat. <laughs> so I go to this audition and there's like poles and brooms and I'm like, yo, this is actually kind of cool. Like, what are we gonna be doing mm-hmm. with all of this shit? So they give me a broom and they're just like, all right, just you know, one, two, three, four, knock on the one. And I was like, all right, bet. And then they go, mm-hmm. be this is a big theme in my audition career. Be <laughs> yourself. And I was like, bet. That I can do, <laughs> right? So I was like, f- fucking flipping this thing, and like, I was like, oh, this shit is easy. Uh-huh. Um, 
it's like all the things that I grew up doing is like, you know, playing on pots and pans, break dancing, mm-hmm. listening to other people, you know, and, and playing off other people. So I just loved I loved the audition, to be honest. Uh-huh. Like I, I really didn't know the show, nor did I care. I was just like, yo, this is fun. I, I had a lot of fun today. And so I was yeah. like having a good time and playing with people. And there was a friend of mine who was an African dancer in the, in the audition that I met uh-huh. there. Her name was Wendy, and she's a she's an, a phenomenal dancer. Like mm-hmm. one of those dancers that you look at, you're just like, oh my god! Like my heart. Yeah, oh, like, amazing! Like, Listen, is doing this. I was like, really? how are you doing that? How where's how, where did your hips go? You know. <laughs> oh, amazing dancer! And I was like, oh, sh- this Wendy's gonna get this. I've seen her do shit mm-hmm. that human beings shouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. So, and as we're in the, in, the, in rehearsal, she pulls me aside. She goes, "Ahmed, you're missing a piece." And she like fixes the diography on me. And I was like, oh shit, Wendy, thank you. Right? Oh. Keep mm-hmm. going, keep going. End of the audition. I was like, man, that shit was really fun. <laughs> you know? And they were yeah. just like, we're gonna call your name out if we want you to come back tomorrow. And they called my name and they didn't call Wendy. And I was like, what? Ooh. This is weird. Okay, I guess I'll come back tomorrow. And I didn't know shit. I was just like, I'll come back tomorrow. And I'm walking out with Wendy and I was just like, so what do we do? What, what do we do? She goes, go back tomorrow. What the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, but you, what you? And she was like, eh, I got another audition. And she like moved on, went on. Mm-hmm. Go back the next day, right? They're playing on garbage cans, right? And it's most of the music in Stomp is from Brazil. Right? They're big, uh-huh. big fans of Brazil. It's either Brazil or it's very British, which is British music is like tick 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 you know. So it's either British or Brazilian, right? And I knew two very similar cultures. Absolutely, one hundred percent affinity, right? But I was in marching band, so I knew how to play all of that, like you know, straight kind of like marching stuff. And then my mom, African percussion. I just learned all of the African percussion stuff. Yeah. Screwing up. So I was like, oh, I could do, you know. So they were playing like a bunch of like samba reggae beats from Brazil. And they gave me a garbage mm-hmm. can. And they were like, can you play this? And I was like, yeah. You know, played it. Yeah. They were like, all right, thanks. And I was like, thank you. And then the ill shit about stomp, but like, I was really broke. Like, I was not making any, anything. You know what I'm saying? So real quick, were you, did you, were you pursuing acting at this point? Or were you just like, I'm going to go to this because it's technically a job flyer? I was, (laughs) I, that audition was when I decided to pursue acting. Oh, wow. Because I was like, I, I had just gotten out of Manhattan School of Music, right? I studied percussion Mm -hmm. and composition at Manhattan School of Music. I had just Mm -hmm. gotten out of Manhattan School of Music. Um, I was working at a recording studio. I was in a band that got signed to a major label. And then the president of the label embezzled all the money. So we were just like, oh, and there was a lot of, you know, in the 90s, there was like 15 people in a band. Right. And there was a a lot of us in the band. We were counting on like tour support, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So we were supposed to go on tour with Jamiroquai. Oh, shit. Back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, the producer, one of the producers of the band was just like, yeah, we're not going on tour. And I was like, well, why not? 
I'm like, I packed. I don't. I I didn't have a place to live. I I let everything go because I was just yeah, like, I'm gonna like, live out this backpack. Like, because I'm going. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> we were supposed to be in Europe <laughs> for six months, and I was like, fuck. Why do I need an apartment? I was like, that could go. <laughs> you landlord, you suck. Everybody, I just put all my shit in the bag, and I was like, let's go, all right? And he's like, yeah, man, uh, we not going. It's <laughs> like, what fuck. happened? Fuck. President of the label stole all the money. We don't have any tour support. So find a job and a place to live. So I found a place to live. I was in Brooklyn. I went to Clinton Hill in Brooklyn. I was living right down Mm -hmm. the street from Rosie Perez. And um, I didn't have a job. I was like, oh, I need a job. And so I was just, I picked up some of my mom's classes for like Mm -hmm. money for food. But I was literally living on like five bucks a day. I would eat bread and spaghetti. That was my diet. And Damn. it was it was rough. Like all my money went to paying my rent, yeah. and then right before stomp, like all my checks were like ping pong, ping ping pong, pong pong. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Everything was bouncing, mm-hmm. everything, and I was like, I need a job. So part of the man, that shit is corny. Was like, you better audition for this thing, you know, because yeah. you need a gig. And I didn't know I was gonna get it. I just thought you audition for jobs and then you get it. I didn't know that there was like a. <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, if that's your first audition and you get it, that is correct. That's what, that's what I was like. Mm. Incorrect. Oh, how do you get acting jobs? Yeah, you just go audition and you get them. I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm gonna go. Like, I'm gonna do that. Fucking one. thank God you were in that headspace because I think if you walked in that room knowing the odds, yeah, I would have been like, uh, why am I here? But yeah. I was just like, this is how you yeah. get jobs? Okay, well, I'll do this one. <laughs> you know? So you get you get through the second audition and they're get through like the second at that audition. point did they call you and they're like you got it or they called me like the day day after and mm-hmm. was just like we want to make you an offer and I was like really and I said thank God because uh-huh. my checks are bouncing and then you know that next Monday I think that was a Friday and then that next Monday I'm in rehearsals for Stone damn um and there was a bunch of us right there was like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was like 20 of us because they were trying to, they were doing three tours, right? There was going to be a New York company and two touring companies. And so um, they needed more people mm-hmm. and they hired a bunch of us. And we were street kids, you know? We were like, all of us were performers, but, um, you know, we were all from the streets in New York. Well, most of us mm-hmm. were from the streets in New York. Some people yeah. came in from other places, but... You know, my cast that ended up in New York City at the Orpheum, we were all New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. How long were you in it? Off and on for about 10 years. Damn, that's mm. a good run. It's still going, Stomp. It's like 30 years going. I mean, like, that's a good run for you. Yeah, personally. you know, I, there were some times where I stopped because, you know, I stopped um, when Star Wars happened and mm-hmm. then um, I went back and then I stopped when I moved out to the West Coast. And then I did the Vegas show. And that, and that was my last after yeah. that. Stomp is the kind of thing where it's just so much fun. You forget how old you are. Yeah, it looks like a fucking blast. Are you kidding it's me? Great. That was amazing. It's great. But it's terrible on your body. Like, it oh, beats yeah. your body up. Right? I, I still have injuries today that I'm just Shit. like, oh, <laughs> you know, because it's Stomp. But it was wonderful. It's it's. I mean, I met my wife in Stomp. Yeah. Um, family for the rest of my life that I've made. 
of from course. being in that show. You know, that show was, it changed my life. And it was probably the best time I've ever had um, How ever, as a professional. How did Star Wars player. come about in the middle of that? Were you like actively looking for other work while you were nah, in Stomp? Or? It was because of Stomp. I was on tour in San Francisco. You know, and I talk about this in the one man show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on tour in San Francisco. And long story short, um, I did a lot of shit that I wasn't supposed to do on stage that night. Um, <laughs> what happened was a dude who was in the show before me, who was kind of a jerk at the time, but I love dearly now, um, mm-hmm. was from San Francisco. And one of the guys in my cast got really, really sick. So he had to go home. And this guy from New York, who was from San Francisco, came up to mm-hmm. San Francisco. And I thought that he was going to take over the part that was vacant because of the cast oh, yeah. member that was sick. Right. Now, I was the lead of the show. Right. So that mm-hmm. cast was my cast. Right. Yeah. And like a band, you know, everybody's strengths and weaknesses, you know, when to fill in, when to not. You really get to know, and if anybody's been on any kind of tour with any pe- anybody, you become kind of like a very dysfunctional family, right? Yeah. You know everybody, you know everybody's strengths and weaknesses, but there's some people that gets on your nerves. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then, but when you're on stage, we're all family. So we have been grueling through this horrendous tour for months and months and months. And... So when cast member gets sick, this guy comes up from San Francisco. He goes, yeah, you know what, man? I'm going to lead the show tonight. Uh, you're huh? going to play the other part. And like, and just like that. Said it like that. And I was what? like, <laughs> I was like, oh, 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 oh. wait a minute. No. You can't just come no. in here and like, this is my, my cast. Like, we've been killing ourselves just to get we had been yeah, doing you're like, like, this isn't the vacant spot, man. No. Like, you could play that part. And... It was a big market, right? It was San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We hadn't been in a big city in months. We had been playing mm-hmm. like Danville, Kentucky. You know what I'm saying? No, like no. we've been doing like and split weeks. So we would like do a show, get on the bus, drive to 48 hours, do another show. It's like two cities a week. So and then we had just come from Detroit, which was horrendous because it was like the winter time. It was freezing. So we <laughs> yeah. didn't really get to enjoy like cities really it was just grueling right Mm -hmm. and it wasn't the city's fault it was the tour schedule so we finally get to san francisco and it was like we're in san francisco for like three months and i was like oh this is great i get to live in a place i had never it's my first time in san fran like i had never been to san fran before really and spent some time there Mm -hmm. and i really love san fran um and i was excited to lead the show in san fran i was like oh yeah he's like yeah nah i'm leading the show and I was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? So I called the office and I'm just like, can he do this? Like, And they were just like, sorry, he can do this. He has seniority. <sighs> and so I had to fill in this other part that was vacant. And I hadn't done that role in like eight months, nine months. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I had to relearn it. So I was young. I was really good at stomp. And I was arrogant as fuck. So, and you're also mad. At and I was character. pissed. I was so pissed. <laughs> so pissed. And so all of that with my ego at the time was a mm. formula for fucking destruction. And so, <laughs> so, <Sure. laughs> so in it's rehearsal. Also, like, it's so hilarious to think of because you're like the most kind, gentle person. So to oh. think of you 
<laughs> some kind Lisa, of like destructive Lisa Curry, space. I was an asshole. <laughs> oh, I was such yes. an asshole. All of it came out too. And I was just like, this motherfucker thinks I'm blah. All of New York came out. I was like, man, you think you're going to, you got another thing coming, shut. So he was just like, well, we're going to have a rehearsal before so I can get up to speed with you all. And I was like, okay. And so he was like, <laughs> he was like, I mean, can I see what you're doing here? And I was just like, no, no, I can't. Um, we'll wait till the show. And it was like, and everybody has like a four bar solo in a certain thing. And so uh-huh. he was like, can I see everybody's solo? And everybody goes through their solos. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he goes, I met you have a solo. And I was like, something will happen. Something will happen when the show happens. I don't know. He's like, so you don't have anything prepared? I was like, yeah, no. Something's yeah, going to we'll happen. We'll see, won't we? We'll see when the show happens, right? And, you know, I was like, hey, man. I was like, hey, man, I'm a jazz musician. It happens at the moment. You know, I live in the now. I was, I was an asshole, Lisa. It happens in the like, moment. He's like, all right, Charles Mingus, relax. Yeah. He was like, all right, Monk. I was like, hey, man, it happens in the moment, baby. You got to go with the flow, cat. <laughs> <laughs> Zip, zap, the peep, the skip, the way. You got to go with the moment, cat. Hey, baby, you know, we playing jazz. It's going to be hit. It's going to be cool. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm an asshole, right? And he knows he's smart enough to leave me alone, right? Because he knows I'm pissed. Show happens. And I swear to God, I said, nobody in this audience is going to be looking at him. I'm going to make sure everybody is paying attention to me the which entire is, 90 minutes. And I'm long and like, shit. Which <laughs> you're supposed to do in an ensemble cast. Absolutely. There's eight people on stage. I was like, not tonight. Not tonight, there ain't. It's going to be Ahmed and the Stompers. Because I'm about to wreck this motherfucker. And so I am everywhere. I'm I mean I am all things to all people. There's a there's like a broom solo where I like have to play a double broom solo. And usually we keep it like kind of tight and compact. That shit was like 20 minutes. I was like, <laughs> right? And then there's a there's a scene in Stomp where we're like swinging, right? For across the suspension. Uh-huh where we're swinging from the, the ceiling and we're swinging. And this cat is not as good of a player, as, as good of a drummer as I am, right? And I mm-hmm. knew that. And then it's my cast. So they know me and they know what <laughs> I can like, do. Oh shit, I'm Ed's lost it. <laughs> They're like, he is on one right now. <laughs> and I said, y'all keep up. Y'all gonna have to just keep up or I'm gonna leave you, right? And they were just like, okay. And, and be, it's my, I, everybody was following me. It's my cast, right? And so in suspension, usually like we were, it, the beat is like, right? And it's like nice and sexy and everything. We're playing it. I played that shit like 10 times faster than that. And I knew my cast could keep up and I knew he couldn't. So I was like, just blazed. And like his sticks was falling and shit, and he couldn't catch up. Here's the Coupe de Gracie. The end of the show. <laughs> hey? There's a club we're on call, we're playing with the audience, right? Uh-huh. And, I, and at this moment, I have fans now. There's like people in the audience just like, oh my God, that guy is amazing, right? Because I'm acting like an asshole. And there's like, there's this group of girls who I think was like a bachelorette party or some shit. And they were the like, worst. oh! 
this is so great, right? And so I'm like pointing at them you know, on the stage. I'm such a dick. I'm pointing like at them from the stage. Prince. I'm just like an asshole. And then here's what I do, Lisa Curry. I swear to you, as we are on Zoom, mm-hmm. I take off my shirt no. and I throw it in the crowd at him. I swear to God. I swear to God. I was like, boosh. And this bachelorette this point, party. Whatever director you're working with, are they just like, mortified. what the fuck is happening? Mortified. Mortified. <laughs> mortified. I should have gotten fired. I swear to God. If I wasn't so good, I would have gotten fired. I should have gotten fired. Just on general principle, I should have gotten fired. Right? Yeah. The bachelorette. Just an example. Straight up. They were like, you are acting a ass. The bachelorette party, they catch my shirt and they're like, oh my God. They like start screaming and shit. I'm like, yeah, right? <laughs> so I drop my garbage can, I go backstage, and then like I'm backstage, and then everything that I just did on stage all of a sudden just hits me. And I'm yeah, just all your adrenaline drops. And I'm just like, what the fuck was that? What did I just do? Mm-hmm. And I felt terrible. I felt awful, awful, awful. And I was like, why did I just do that? I'm so embarrassed. And so one of my cast members named RJ, RJ comes in and he goes, hey, I'm Ed. And I go, hey, man, don't talk to me right now, man. I know I messed up. I'm angry. I know I fucked up. I made myself look like an asshole. I'm sorry. Just don't talk to me right now, man. I'm going to just get my shit and I'm going to go back to the crib. Just leave me alone. And he goes, no, I had a friend here tonight. And I was like, okay. And he was like, She's the casting director for Star Wars. And I was like, what? And then I was just like, Are you, oh. you're like, are you calling me a fucking Ewok? What is I was like, what the fuck? Are you, are you fucking telling a joke right now, bro? I'm not in the mood. <laughs> he was like, she's Star Wars. And I felt bad. I was like, I fucked it up for RJ. Like, maybe this was his shit. Like, he invited mm-hmm. her so she could see him on stage. And I just completely demolished his chance. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, RJ, I am fucking sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, my. And I was like, oh, and he was like, no, 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 no. She wants to call you. She wants to talk to you. And I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, she's going to call you when you get to the crib. Just wait for her to call you. I was like, what is happening? I was so confused. So I grabbed my shit. I walked. You know, them hills in San Francisco, like vertical, right? So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm walking like vertical <laughs> back to my street. Straight up a wall. <laughs> I'm walking like, I'm like a lizard walking back to the apartment. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going, what's going on? So I get to the crib and she calls. Her name is Robin Gerlin. Robin calls me and she goes, hey, I loved your show tonight. And I was like, really? Really? <laughs> And she was like, I want you to come to Skywalker Ranch and audition for Star Wars tomorrow. And I was like, what the fuck? And you're is like, that? yeah, that's what I was planning anyway. So I was my from from jump, me, like, me acting like an asshole on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was that's how I got the audition. Acting like an asshole. That's wild. In San Francisco. And that's then I'm wild. I'm at Skywalker Ranch and I'm just like, what's going on? It was weird. And I mean, and that audition was 
weird because nobody said anything to me. They were just like, we can't tell you what it is. We can't give you any <laughs> reference. We can't give you any... Be yourself. Nothing. Just be yourself. Yeah. And do these things. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah. So I was doing all kinds of crazy shit. And it was in her office in the basement of Skywalker. And her office is like this big. It was tiny. Mm-hmm. And I was like doing backflips and shit in there. And so she was like, thank you very much. And so I go back out on tour and then I'm in D.C., and when I'm in D.C., they give a call. And then they're just like, can you come back to San Francisco for a screen test? And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I fly back to San Francisco. And the screen test is at ILM. This was before it was at the Presidio. It was in this weird-ass, like, fake town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I was just like, right. this is either cool or creepy. Um, but it was in this weird-ass fake town that had, like, fake burger joints and fake general stores and shit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm driving through there and I'm just like, is this it? This is it? And I see a whole bunch of people going, stop, this is it. <laughs> you know, I drive <laughs> up and I walk in and the first thing I see is like the Energizer Bunny and Han Solo frozen in carbonite. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? And so then they tell me to put the mocap suit on, which is like mm-hmm. the most revealing everything that you could possibly <laughs> <Yeah>. imagine. <laughs> and six inch like platform converse. <laughs> And I was like, all right. And so mm-hmm. I'm in this, you know, I'm in this mocap suit and then in these high ass heels. And I'm just like, uh, is it about to get weird in here? Like, what's going on? Like, what do you need me to do? <laughs> yeah. You're like, is this an initiation? Or like, what, are, you about to, are we going to drive over to the Castro or something? We're like, what's going to happen? <laughs> and I was like, can somebody tell me like what I'm supposed to be doing? And they're like, no, we can't tell you anything about it. We can't. <laughs> what we can tell you is. And this was before mocap was a mm-hmm. thing, right? Like mm-hmm. now you say mocap and everybody knows what it is. Back yeah. then it was this new technology that they were writing as I was auditioning, right? Wild. Um, so I walk into this room and there's infrared cameras around the room and I'm wearing the mocap suit with all the ping pong balls and shit. And um, I'm just going, okay, are we going to get started? And they were saying, you're going to have to wait until George shows up. And I was like, George who? Curious George? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're like, George Clinton? I don't George, understand. Are these is, his shoes? What's boy George? On? Boy George? Like, I feel like I'm dressed for Culture Club. They were like, no, George is going to come in and he's going to direct you. And I was like, what the fuck? And then George walks in with the flannel and, you know, the mustache and the whole, like, he's George Lucas. He's fucking, he's for real. The way he looks there is the way he looks in person. And so he walks in and he's just like, hey, how you doing? I'm George. And I'm like, hey, man, how are you? Why am I talking so loud? This is weird. Do I look strange? Can you see anything that's revealing? Huh? You know, it's a little bit of shrinkage because I was like kind of nervous. And so he's like, yeah, man, um, you know, just walk back and forth. And so I'm walking and walking and walking. And then he goes, yeah, do anything you want. And I was like, okay. And then I start doing like what I did in Robin's office, like backflips and spins and all this kind of shit. And then he goes, okay, thanks. And leaves, right? I'm just like, did I fuck it up? Like, is it okay? And everybody's like, oh, no, no, you did great. You did great. And I'm just like, but he just left. And am I I good? Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, come see what you did. Hold on really quick. Is this your second audition at this point? Yeah, it's my second audition. Fuck (laughs) off. This is audition number two. <laughs> so it was like, stop with So, one, I mean, again, Star correct. Wars two. You just audition and you get a thing. This is how you get jobs. You That's just, right. 
You just go and audition for See, for if what I had you known want. that, then I would have just gotten the jobs I auditioned for. Hello, what totally. am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is two. Yeah. Number two is so, George Lucas yeah. in a fucking, fucking skin-type mocap suit. <laughs> looking at your So junk. he leaves. They're like, you did great. You did great. Come see what you did. And I look at the computer screen, which were like 20 feet thick at the time. Mm-hmm. And I see this, you know, what's called a point cloud, but it looks like a whole bunch of ping pong balls on a screen mm-hmm. moving like me. And I was like, this is incredible. What is this? And they go, yeah, this is called motion capture. And I was like, wow, is this what I'm going to be doing? And they go, maybe. And I was like, can you what, tell me what the character looks like or anything? And they were like, mm-hmm. no, but we don't know if this is going to work. So... We're glad you showed up. <laughs> yeah. Because originally they were just like, how do we get animation to look like a real person? Because the yeah. animation looks like animation. And they were like, well, let's put a real person in it. And let's try that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they were writing the motion capture software literally as wild. I was auditioning. And then the software got refined as we started doing Phantom Menace. But... Um, you know, I go back on the road and I'm in Philly and I get a call and they were like, we want you to go to London and be in Star Wars. And I was like, what? Okay. You're like, are you sure? It's like, it's, uh, are, <laughs> right. I didn't really understand what that meant. You know what I'm saying? Like, of yeah. course I knew what Star Wars was. And of course, you know, well, I was a huge so fan huge. as a kid. That's like saying, There's like, no hey, way. I'm going to stop by and take you to Mars yeah. for lunch. And you're like, There's really like, no Mars way. Mars? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can't really comprehend what it all means, even when you're doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. because the machine of those movies are so large. The scope is so big. It's way bigger than you. So you're a part of it, but you're not it. You know, there's so much more going on that you're just like, I'm just making this machine work. I'm not really, you know, I don't really matter too much i'm just yeah. you know i'm saying the lines i'm hitting my mark but with jar jar especially in phantom menace i got a lot of attention because this was a new film technique that had never been done to this extent before yeah. so there was a lot riding on the believability of the character yeah so there was all always people around me you know mm-hmm. and it was a it was a very collaborative very symbiotic um experience because i That's i awesome. worked for i worked for two years after uh, principal photography um, going back and forth from New York to ILM wow. because wow. they were working on making it as believable as possible. So there are so many things that they needed were to shoot. Were you still in Stomp at this point? Are you still mm-hmm. like, wow, God, yeah, that's so I much would, work. Yeah, I was doing like a week of Stomp and then they would be like, we need you in San Francisco for two weeks. And I was like, all right. And then, you know, thankfully. And then that guy just took your place or? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Came in and did my role. <laughs> right poorly because i destroyed yeah. it <laughs> yeah he actually moved away to never stomp again no <laughs> yeah. but i would yeah oh, i would so go awesome. out for two weeks at a time and then phantom menace comes out and it becomes what it becomes that's incredible i i don't want to keep you for too long i'm just that's so fascinating and also seriously fuck you for having two auditions and then getting them <laughs> I've, I've, I, I've firmly I, corrected my karma when I moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> um, no. Is there something, like, when you look, I mean, I kind of have a guess, but when you look back at, at uh, 
I guess, the path of your career? Is there something that at the time felt insignificant or even that felt bad that changed things for the better? I mean, I'm guessing fucking off in in the middle of stomp. (laughs) Well, you know, you know what is really, you know, some of the really important lessons that I've learned um, is you don't have to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what's really super important, like I said, in, in a lot of my auditions, when they say be yourself, that means something, you yeah. know, that that's really important. You know, and I tell this, you know, I teach at USC. I teach um, uh, at the School of Dramatic Arts at USC to uh, third year master students. And I tell my students at, at USC that I really don't care how good of an actor you are. I don't care. Mm-hmm. What I do care about is that you have a voice, that you have a point of view, yeah. that you are not giving me something that you think I want to see, that you're giving me something that is honestly what you want to give. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think this idea of commercial acting and generic acting is something that you should internalize, right? A lot of times that people will go out and be like, well, they want a type, so I'm just going to fit that type because I know what they want. Yeah. Um, I, I don't find the benefit in that. No, I've always I think felt- that there's something like authenticity is that like you can't put your finger on it, but you know it when you see it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think. Going back to Chris Rock, like I think Chris mm-hmm. Rock is a perfect example of that, right? Chris Rock right now is doing some mind-blowing work, like yeah. mind-blowing, and not just in the comedy realm, right? And I think we talked about his last comedy special, because yeah. um, I don't think it was his funniest, but I think it was his best, because he was I, I fucking fully honest. Agree. Mm-hmm. He was so honest in that shit. Even when he was talking about his, we I mean we talked about this many times, but when he was talking uh-huh. about cheating on his wife. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think this is something that Kevin Hart is going to eventually grow into as well, you know, as you get older. You know, (laughs) I think it is. I think it's something because he has it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he has the ability to be introspective. He's just not honest yet. And it's going to come and it comes with age. And I think Chris Rock is at this time right now where he's just like, what can you fucking do to me? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I get, I know that I'm I'm not going to, you can't, hurt me you can't beat me and when yeah. you're coming up in the business you want to be loved so much and you want to be able to work and you want to be able to put your shit out there and you want to mm-hmm. be entertaining right and and all yeah. the chris rock specials he's fucking funny and entertaining right and this one he was funny entertaining and honest as hell yeah and that's why he was so great and that's why he was great in fargo right when yes. he did fargo totally this season agree. because i was like you are saying some honest shit right now, mm-hmm. right? You are actually being the actor that you could have always been, but are now have now grown into. Because you have a point of view, you have a voice, you know? You are authentically yourself. And even in this movie that's coming out now, this horror movie, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm watching the promos for it. I'm watching the trailers for it. I'm just like, man, Chris Rock is phenomenal, you know? And it's not because he's acting right it's because he's honest in whatever he's doing i can be like whomever that character is i believe them right they're not putting something on and i think that's what's most important you know and i've been in so many situations where i've put something on 
especially like after the whole Jar Jar shit and the backlash and all of that stuff. I put on this idea of who I was supposed to be, you know, and which is so wild because you had already succeeded in literally being yourself from getting that direction. Yeah. But the whole not being liked thing. Yeah. Hurts, you know, Mm -hmm. it hurts a lot. So I was just like, maybe myself isn't good enough. You know, let me do what everybody else does, which is like put on a suit of someone else and be Mm -hmm. a type, you know, and um, completely just awful auditions, even worse choices. Like it was a whole lot of self-doubt. Right. Mm -hmm. And it didn't I, I stopped being who I was. You know, I stopped being myself because I was just like, I just want everybody to stop hurting me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. maybe That's if so I was sad. somebody else, everybody would just yeah. leave me alone and let me live, you know? But I realized that that shit ain't up to me. The only thing I can do is be me, you know? Yeah. I am the only me there is. That's, that's the only thing I can do. And subsequently, I've learned from that. And that's the kind of thing that I like to impart on the people who I teach and who I learn from. It's like, if there's one thing that I could say, like the reason why the even though I was acting an ass on stage in San Francisco and Stomp, it was still me. Yeah. And that came through, you know. Well, and it sounds like you really took ownership of it immediately. Yeah. You know, I it mean, wasn't like I didn't fucking do anything wrong. Fuck I wasn't, you, yes. you know? Yeah, I wasn't in denial about it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I wasn't just like, yeah, and I'm the shit and everybody. Jo-. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, no, nah, that was that wasn't it. You know, that yeah. wasn't it. And I've always been able to be introspective like that, almost to a fault. But um, I, I recognize that I didn't get that opportunity because I was an asshole. I got that opportunity because I let myself go. Right. And, you know, that is a lot for people sometimes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it has, I and, I, and it's the ability to take over, but you know, that is still who I am. Mm-hmm. I you love know? it. Uh, I have one last question for you. Yes. Uh, if your childhood self, like 11 year old Ahmed could meet you, what do you think he would think? Oh man, I don't know. He'd probably be like, man, you corny, man. <laughs> <laughs> Man, who is corny? Who is corny? You live in LA. What are you doing? (laughs) Sold out, son. Shoot, man, you sold out. (laughs) Left the boogie down. Went out there to La La Land. Got famous. (laughs) Man, you corny, son. (laughs) Right? The little asshole. South Bronx, New York kid. So much bravado for a child. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Always profile, man. You're corny, <laughs> man. Psst. You think you are that? <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, uh, oh man, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It was so great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, that was Ahmed Best. Not that I needed to remind you, but you can find him on Twitter at Ahmed Best and on Instagram at Best Ahmed. I'm Lisa Curry. You can find me on Twitter at Lisa underscore Curry and on Instagram at Olympian Lisa Curry. If you're enjoying the show, please like, subscribe, leave a nice comment, tell your parents, tell a friend, rent a billboard. You know the deal. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye.